Hi, everyone. Randall Schwartz here, host of Floss Weekly. This week, Randy Herper joins me after a long absence. She's going to help me talk to the guys about Selenium, the web testing framework that tests the browsers all the way end to end. You're going to want to hear about this, so stay tuned. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Floss Weekly is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Floss Weekly with Randall Schwartz and Randy Harper. Episode 161 for April 13th, 2011. Selenium. This episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by Netflix. Watch thousands of TV episodes and movies streamed to your PC, Mac, or TV instantly. Plus, get DVDs by mail in about one business day. For your free 30-day trial, go to netflix.com slash twit. It's time for Floss Weekly, the show with free, libre, open-source software. I am your host, Randall Schwartz, Merlin at Stonehenge.com, bringing you the big projects, the small projects, the big people, the little people, the important people, the people you might not have heard of, the... All sorts of interesting projects. You hear me week after week come in here. It's a labor of love. I love to do this show because it's, I always get to talk to some of the most interesting people. And to help me along, I almost always have a co-host. This week's co-host, she's been absent for a while, but we decided to bring her back because she's finished moving now. So it's none other than, uh, you know, her free BSD girl, Randy Harper. Randy, welcome back to the show. Hi, it's great to be back. And, and you were missing because you were moving, right? Um, moving and taking a little bit of a break from open source because I'd been working pretty hard on FreeBSD for a while and just needed a little bit of time off. But I'm back now. I'm back now and working on code and on Floss Weekly. Well, very good. We've got you uh, for at least a couple of slots during this quarter. And so uh, if, you, if you like hearing Randy today, just uh, keep tuning in. We'll get uh, some more shows uh, with her a little bit later on. I do want to mention my guest, though, before we get a little bit too much further along. And that is uh, my guest today is Jason Huggins. Jason Huggins is one of the co-founders of the project that created the Selenium web testing framework. Now, we've talked a lot about testing on this show, but uh, this is web testing sort of at the retail end, sort of by moving browsers around, by actually sort of driving browsers to go through their various steps of click here, see if this is the right thing on the page, click over here, find the link that has that. We're able to test sort of end-to-end, -end, including things that have uh, fancy interfaces with JavaScript, like Ajax and stuff. And this is a really important thing, especially in this day where we're really moving most of our stuff down towards the browser, making smarter browser apps and things like that, uh, high-end apps. And we've talked to actually some uh, people on, on the show that are doing that sort of thing. So Selenium is for testing all the way down to the end of the stream. Uh, I'm really looking forward to bringing him on. He's also got a project called Sauce Labs, which allows us to actually test across multiple platforms in the cloud so that we can uh, test on browsers we don't have access to. So I'm looking forward to talking to him. Uh, but before we do that, we have a sponsor. Yay, sponsors. Love sponsors. My sponsor is Netflix. I am a very happy Netflix user. I have been a Netflix subscriber actually for a few months now because I actually heard about him on the Twit Network. But I tell you, it's just really changed the way that I watch television and I watch movies now. So the, uh, the official words here is that this episode of uh, Plus Weekly is brought to you by Netflix. Netflix delivers movies directly to your home, and that saves you time, money, and hassle. You can instantly watch thousands of TV episodes and movies streamed directly to your PC or Mac, or stream to your TV via Netflix-ready device, including an Xbox 360, a PS3, a Nintendo Wii, or a Roku. I have a Roku, and I have a PS3, and they both have Netflix on them. I really enjoy watching it right there on my big screen TV. You can also get DVD by mail in about one business day. You watch as many movies as you want, anytime you want, and never any late fees, no due dates or whatever. 
but the way I use Netflix is they suggest movies to me, they suggest television for me, or I can go search through and see what I want to see on that. And I must have, there's a queue, I must have like 400 movies and television shows in my queue. I could watch, I could watch stuff on Netflix streaming every hour of every day for about seven months before I'd even start to run out. So definitely want to check it out. It's a great way to see some very prominent things like, just the other day, I was—I uh, noticed they had the IT crowd on there. One of my favorite shows, the IT crowd. It's—it's it's only the first and fourth seasons, but it's still pretty good. They have complete seasons of a lot of TV shows and stuff. It's just the way to make it work. Really, really cool. So. Um, you can uh, go get your own subscription to it. You can instantly watch lots of movies like the ones I just mentioned or thousands of television episodes, other movies when you register for a free trial membership. Go to netflix.com slash twit, netflix.com slash T-W-I-T. You get a free trial, free first 30 days. Go check it out. We really thank Netflix for their support of Twit and Floss Weekly. And now back to bringing on the guest. Uh, do you have any questions before we bring the guest on, Randy? No, I'm good to go. So let's go ahead and bring Jason on. Jason, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great. So uh, I, it's, I did probably a pretty poor job not having ever used Selenium, sorry about that, of introducing okay. Selenium at the beginning of the show. So uh, why don't you give us sort of, well, first, let, I, this has been pretty successful in some of the past shows. Why don't you give us first the problem space that this fits in and then tell me how Selenium came about to solve that problem. Right. Uh, I started the project about seven years ago when I was uh, a developer at ThoughtWorks in Chicago, and uh, I did not think my uh, fame and fortune, uh, if you will, um, would come from testing tools. Um, and uh, we, anyway, we were creating this open, uh, this um, time and expense system. You know, a consulting shop is, you know, their product basically is their invoice, and that invoice is time and expense stuff. Um, so the time and expense system was kind of an important thing. Um, I kind of got. Um, uh, had the crazy idea, like, hey, let's let's uh, do this project as this web app and this fancy thing uh, in 2004. And the, the biggest feature was that we needed to do it fast. Um, so this was just a, a little bit before JavaScript was actually okay to use. Uh, and so we did this web app. We did a couple of JavaScripty things. Um, but the problem was um, these features that we were doing, you know, um, all in browser, kind of using JavaScript to make the application interesting. Uh, it was buggy, especially cross browser. So one week, uh, a feature would be working in IE6, and then uh, the next week, it, it would be working in Mozilla. And the thing was, you know, if someone would change something, I would report a bug saying, "Hey, it's broken in IE6." They would go fix that, but then they would break it in Mozilla. And this was actually pre. Firefox. I think Firefox was still like at 0.8 um, a version. And uh, so we had this, I call it like the, the sine wave of quality. We're ping-ponging back and forth between these, uh, these things. And um, the developers, we had no QA department on the project. Um, it was just developers. So um, uh, I realized I can't, uh, it's too boring of a job for the developers to ask them to test everything in all browsers all the time. Uh, so we figured, okay, let's write this tool where we could write one test. Um, have that run across all the browsers so we can kind of go back to more interesting things. Um, so it's kind of a combined thing of like the pain and frustration uh, of these things breaking uh, and then kind of the boredom and tedium of having to do that manually all the time. So um, Selenium kind of, you know, does the boring regression testing so we can kind of keep moving forward. Um, so testing is it's one of those things of um, it's like you don't realize you need it until you need it. Um, you know, like if, if you're a you know, once you've got revenue or users on the line, like then testing is important. Uh, like once you have that one call where you're woken up at you know, 3 a.m. Uh, by a pager call, something's down, and you, you kind of want to start putting in processes to uh, you know, prevent that from being woken up in the, at late at night in the future. So that's kind of where testing comes in. 
Cool. And I know, like I said, I mentioned a moment ago, I've never used Selenium, but I know a lot about the web. I know a lot about testing because I come from a small talk and Perl background. And one of the things that uh, I've seen over and over again in my clients' spaces as I get hired by different companies to come in and clean up their code is that there's this severe lack of attention to testing. Mm -hmm. And so the problem you have is that everybody's afraid to make any changes to the code base because right. they don't know if that's going to break something in production. And it right. had to be even more, as, as you were pointing out, back in the early days of the of JavaScript, even having different implementation models, it must have been really interesting to be uh, that fragile and, and trying to make sure that you, that you even had an ability to make changes. Right. I mean, at the uh, very beginning of the project, uh, we had huge arguments about whether we should even use JavaScript. Um, and the big argument was, um, well, at the, at the time, you know, that the, the standard way you do a web app is it's called, you know, Classic request response. You know, you, 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 if you click a button or do anything, you basically you send all the data back to the server. The server processes it and then just sends a very dumb text file, you know, HTML file back to the screen. Very mm -hmm. little interactivity. And state of the art of the tools then kind of assumed that, where there was nothing really interesting going on in JavaScript. So why would you need a testing tool to do that stuff? Um, and so we had these arguments of, um, well, if we want to use this JavaScripty stuff, it's now kind of more risky to do it. Um, there's no testing tools to use it. So like there was this argument of, do we, do we write the app kind of to the state of what, the, of what we can test or do we modify our, our testing tools to match what crazy insane things that we're trying to do in the browser? Um, so, and we had, I mean, it was a very logical thing that, you know, we've got better things to do than going inventing testing tools. We should just kind of do what we can, mm -hmm. you know, and um, anyway, so went back and forth, but I think I finally won the argument. Yeah, do, and, and, do, do crazy stuff, but you know, keep yourself. Uh, you know, do safety stuff along the way to make sure you don't break everything. Right. You know, it's like it's like you really want to climb the mountain, but if you don't put the little the little pitons at the right spots and they have the double ropes and the people strapped together, right. you're, you know, your, your chances of succeeding more than twice are probably pretty low. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I really like the rock climbing metaphor. It's starting to kind of grow on me, and um, and I think that explains why some people are totally into testing and others are not. I think every developer deep inside themselves think they're one of those like free scaling guys. I don't need any safety harnesses. I'm just going to scale this wall. I'm going to be awesome. Um, and, and actually, that's mostly true because software development really isn't rock climbing. If you fall, nothing happens, right? You're just still sitting on your couch. Um, but once things are more on the line, there's users, there's revenue, then the risk of falling, if things break, it becomes a little bit more uh, important to kind of do it right. And that's where the testing really kind of comes in. And, I, and, I, and I've got to tell you, you know, I've had some pretty big clients and I've seen people roll out hot patches uh, that didn't get quite enough testing. And then you see the, the change log, you see hot patch goes out, you know, Thursday afternoon, and then you see another hot patch goes out Friday afternoon to fix the things that Thursday broke. Right. And obviously proof that there's not enough testing all the way through. And, for, for, you know, and you'd think people who've been doing this for a while would have figured this out by now, that testing is really essential. But no, it's, it seems to still be this kind of thing where, uh, as you're saying, I mean, you, you, don't, you don't break your arm by... Right. putting a bug in code, you know, right. thank God, or <laughs> I have a lot more than right. just one right. broken arm, I tell you. Um, right. So uh, the other thing that, that I also see uh, essential for Selenium and why it, it's great is that I hate doing the same thing over and over again in a browser to right. test my new code. And especially yep. like if I have to read off a list because there's so many steps now to test my application, I've got to like go through a, a litany to figure out what to do next. And right. so this is something that Selenium solves, right? Yeah, I mean, it was also kind of a, you know, there's uh, the testing market, I think, or 
testers, testing traditionally was kind of done by non-programmers. And the project that we were on, we, we realized we we had a testing problem, but we didn't have really the manpower or the budget to have dedicated testers. So we were a bunch of developers and we figured this is kind of like, you know, um, a, a sign of like the rise of uh, agile development. Basically, developers need to start doing testing. Uh, it's really kind of one of those ways to characterize agile. And um, yeah, so we were kind of crafty programmers. I, I think actually uh, I, I do have... Uh, a dog-eared copy of, of Learning Perl around here. And I, I think um, I've moved on to uh, Python and JavaScript, but I think the the, uh, the ethic okay. of being the lazy programmer, I think, still lives in me. And um, I think a, a lot of test automation comes from that wanting to just be lazy <laughs> and not yeah. have to test everything all the time, every time. Well, I was actually going to get into that in a couple of minutes, but uh, as long as you brought that up, there's... I'm really familiar with Perl's uh, test harness framework, which is really, really good. It's now actually been abstracted out to be the TAP protocol. Yeah, TAP. TAP is very cool. And is TAP uh, integrated with Selenium? Do we have some access to that? I know I've had, I had a really, so no, I think is the short answer. Uh, we do have, Selenium is, is a, a complicated project. Like the mission is to, you know, test all browsers, all app, uh, all, on all operating systems and drive that from any language. So, um, any particular one person can't do it all. Uh, so we have mm -hmm. particular members that kind of uh, contribute the, the Perl bindings. I think Luke Kloss is working on that. Um, uh, mm -hmm. I work on various things. And so um, I'm not too plugged into the Perl side of things. Um, I think people have, there's lots of ancillary projects that people have done to plug in Selenium mm -hmm. to their, their various test harnesses and, and things. So I wouldn't be surprised if there um, is a TAP uh, protocol, but there's so many projects and so many frameworks to plug into. I, I don't have it at the top of brain. Uh, so uh, so uh, uh, no offense to the person who did create the Selenium TAP interface. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll go check it out. <laughs> well, you know, that's the, uh, that's the big thing here, though, is that because, you know, I, I know that the Perl community had recently has just really been driven in, about testing. They've just been really going yeah. crazy with this. So that's why it's, this is great. And the, my current client, uh, Media Temple, is uh, using Selenium to do all their, you know, end-user browser testing. And it's, oddly, this is the one day I'm not actually on site there, so I don't have anybody over my yeah. shoulder saying, ask them about this. So uh, we'll just have to take the questions later. We've, hey, we don't have a chat room live, by the way. If you're watching the show live, you can come in and ask questions as well. Um, but I think Randy had a couple questions for you. Randy, you want to pick that up? Sure. Yeah. So I'm curious as to what your user base is like. I mean, how many users do you currently have for Selenium? Uh, let's see. So I think as far as like raw statistics, I think there's been like like somewhere between four and five million like downloads of Selenium like uh, life to date. Uh, wow. Just like that's from the, the project home, site, home page. Uh, but it's kind of a tale of two user communities. Um, there's kind of the, you know, the project's kind of core ethic was kind of uh, for developers by developers. And that's where we get all the language bindings. So, the, the, so half the user base are the um, Java programmers, Perl, Python, Ruby, C Sharp, those folks uh, doing things, you know, the right way. Then there's this other user base, which are actually kind of traditional testers. I, I like to call them, instead of focusing on the negative, like, hey, they're not coders, I like to call them the interactive users, um, where they where they use a record playback tool and they record simple interactions and play those back. And um, actually their skill set really is in like finding problems, investigating, exploratory testing and finding things. Once they find something, then they record a simple test and play it back. Um, and I, I, I feel for those people because they, they don't have the programming skills to kind of, you know, do fancy stuff, but they definitely... Um, I, I feel like the commercial testing market has really let them down by saying like no coding required. Um, 
So we're trying to kind of reach out to them and, and kind of provide this path, like provide a recording, a record playback tool. Um, that's the Selenium IDE is, a, uh, is what a lot of people start with the project on, but, but also provide stuff like exporting to um, any of the supported languages and kind of get them on the path. So really it's like half the user community are just plain old programmers. And then the other half are kind of traditional testers who don't have a huge programming background, uh, but they're using some automation. I guess you maybe call it like semi-automated stuff uh, to get through their day. Their, their day. Okay. I hope that answers yeah. the question. It does. Um, so a while ago, I was actually doing some QA work, taking a break from sysadmin and dev stuff uh, for a small startup in Mountain View. And I was looking for a tool like this, and I'm kind of surprised that I didn't find Selenium. It would have been perfect for what we were trying to do, I mean, doing web-based testing. Um, so why doesn't everyone already use this? Um, well, I think one of my, one of my sample tests for uh, Selenium, like the hello world for a, for a user interface test is to go to Google, do some kind of search. So uh, Selenium is the top hit for Ajax, or not top hit, but on the top 10 at least uh, for Ajax testing, although that's kind of an old word now. I don't know what the particular um, uh, phrase you were looking for. Um, I guess we have to start, you know, work on our SEO and all that, all that fun stuff. But um, I mean, if you do look for web testing, web testing tools, I think we kind of, uh, I feel like in that we're kind of, uh, Selenium's kind of of the usual usual suspects there. Um, yeah, so I, I'm actually curious kind of what you were looking for. Were you looking for a testing tool or like... At the time, I really didn't know. I was looking more for a testing tool, something to kind of automate web testing um, of the web portion of what I was working on. And yeah, it was just, it was really, I had problems finding things that did exactly what I wanted. Got it. What did um, you end up using? Hmm? What did you end up using? Actually, nothing. <laughs> Got it. Um, I mean, I, yeah. well, well, then I went to go yeah. work elsewhere, so I'm not really sure what they're using now. <laughs> Got it. You said, wait, you said Square? Square? Oh, sorry, it's all right. It didn't hear what you said at the end. Oh, no, I ended up going to work elsewhere, so elsewhere. yeah, I'm not Got really it. sure what okay. they're using now. Got it. So Got it. Um, tell me about the relationship of, between the IDE and the remote control. I mean, how do those parts play together? Right. I think the at the, the simplest level, they're they're two completely user two separate user communities. The people who use the IDE kind of stay there, um, and very few people kind of upgrade, um, or or even know that there's this notion of kind of upgrading your skills to kind of just writing stuff in code. Um, there is a feature, uh, an underutilized feature in the Selenium IDE um, that if you go to the tools menu options and you can export a recorded script to any of the supported languages. And I think that's kind of a great way to kind of use uh, a record playback tool ethically <laughs> where you, or at least to kind of promote it and push it, where you uh, record something. Actually, the great kind of use case is like, you've got some new feature or you're maybe trying to uh, kind of lock down a particular bug that somebody reported. You kind of go through, replicate what the person um, said. Because I mean, very often when a bug comes in, it's like, okay, what did you, what did you do? What did you click on? What URL did you go to? Kind of get that down, use Selenium ID to record that. And then once that's recorded, export that to a real language and then that, then plug that into the rest of your, your build process, your continuous integration systems, all that kind of stuff. Um, but there's a whole bunch of other kind of... Uh, a big portion of the user community doesn't use the IDE. They just write straight code. Um, and, they, and they've basically got two types of code that they're writing. Their, their application feature code and then the test code that tests those things. And they just kind of spend their whole day in, um, you know, in their 
whether whatever it's Eclipse or IDE or, or um, you know, I, I spend my whole day in a terminal window, Vim, and a, and a REPL, and, and I'm done. Uh, but some people just just spend time in, in those text editors, and that's how they write their tests. So how does Sauce Labs fit into all of this? Right. Glad you asked. <laughs> uh, so the the problem that I saw is um, with so Selenium solved the first problem of you know we got we got to test this stuff and it's boring to do it manually all the time. Um, after that problem is solved, I saw this in a bunch of projects um, at ThoughtWorks and then um, left ThoughtWorks to go to Google. And the thing was, after you have a whole bunch of tests, everyone kind of set thing, sets things up the wrong way. They, you've got an average Selenium test takes about a minute to run testing a couple of features in a browser. A lot of people just set up one machine under their desk to run all these tests. And if you have about 60 tests, that takes about an hour. At that point, the bigger, the bigger frustration is now you have to wait an hour to find out if you broke anything. So um, the, the idea that I saw at ThoughtWorks and, and that we also did at, at, at kind of scale at, on the Selenium farm at, at Google was uh, this amazing idea of throwing more hardware at the problem. You distribute the tests across many machines. And now instead of taking 60 minutes, if you have 60 machines, you can now run them all par in parallel in one minute. So where Sauce Labs comes in is I think uh, the whole cloud computing thing, I'm kind of annoyed at uh, all the companies now that everything is cloud, but in the kind of academic sense of what EC2 originally was, where you know this elastic supply of machines, uh, testing ends up being kind of this killer app for cloud computing, where we need a whole bunch of machines to run a whole bunch of tests in a very short amount of time, and then you throw them away when you're done. So, so Sauce really is kind of a cloud computing kind of uh, test infrastructure for, for software testing. And that's, that's what we kind of do. So I saw it at the small scale on projects when I was a, a consultant at ThoughtWorks. Um, I saw it at the very big scale when Selenium was using to test all of Google Apps um, on the Selenium farm. And Sauce Labs is kind of the, uh, you know, just in the middle kind of like people who need to do testing, but they don't want to fork out all the money to have this massive test lab to test all the different permutations. And they don't want to dedicate you know, someone to kind of keep all those plates spinning. So it's just kind of like, um, you know, for those people who need testing, but they, you know, don't have the budget or the or the or the, the willpower to kind of do it at kind of a scale that, that Google does it at. So how long ago did you start Sauce Labs? Uh, we started it in July of 2008. So we're coming up on the three-year three year anniversary, a couple months. How many employees do you have currently? Uh, I think we're at 13. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm out here in Chicago, uh, but it's based in San Francisco. So I'm on a uh, I like to joke a gravitational uh, orbit around the city of San Francisco. So do you see it expanding in the future? I mean, as far as employees go, I know there's a lot of people out there that would probably love to know if you're hiring. Right. I, I think uh, it's one of those things of like maybe check back in a couple months. I, I think we we're definitely got uh, world domination plans that are just kind of waiting to be be implemented. So uh, yeah. So don't call me tomorrow, but in a couple of months, definitely. You, you know, I'm looking at the, what Sauce Labs would provide for me as you know, as a, as a small business. Say, if I have like, uh, well, let's, let's use one, one of my other longtime clients, um, Insight Cruises. We have a product that right now is pretty plain CGI Perl stuff, but we're looking at uh, rolling it out with some fancy jQuery, you know, drag and drop kind of cool thing. And I know that, uh, you know, my client and I both run OS X. And so mm -hmm. and we might have access to, say, Safari and to um, uh, Firefox and maybe a couple of other browsers, but we certainly don't right. aren't able to run it on all the 
potential customer client bases. So is right. Sauce Labs the sort of thing where I could commission you guys to like run my tests on multiple browsers? And, and how many browsers are there actually that, that we need to test with? I'm probably going to be staggered by the number. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of ridiculous. So um, so in the OS ten specific thing, we don't have that now, but it's definitely in our uh, roadmap. I think, I don't know if this is a scoop here, but I think it's on our quarter two goals uh, that just, you know, quarter two just mm -hmm. started uh, to get OS ten out there. Um, so that's actually just an interesting thing to, you know, uh, how do you legally do it? How do you pragmatically and technically do OS ten? Because uh, we have to do it virtualized anyway. So that, that's one thing. But then mm -hmm. just from the... Your your other question of just how many browsers are there? Um, I think we've like we've got Firefox three 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 five three six four, IE 7, 8, 9 is now out there. We've got Safari and Windows is what we have. Um, there's also Opera, uh, Chrome. Uh, mm -hmm. Chrome is interesting because there's really no version of that. Uh, Chrome is cool where they just constantly are pushing out updates to people, so it's very hard to be on an old version of Chrome. Um, but yeah, and then on Linux and uh, Windows is what we support. Uh, but kind of the, the mission of the of the of Sauce and Selenium, uh, and currently Selenium supports more than than Sauce does. We're still figuring out the the OS ten part for our service. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, all all browsers, uh, all platforms. And the other um, new thing to that is, and and new is kind of interesting because uh, mobile's been around for a couple of years, but in the testing world. Testing tools are traditionally kind of a lagging indicator of the hotness of some kind of technology. So mm -hmm. just, I think, 2010 was really the year that um, a lot of companies really got serious about how they're going to be testing their iPhone apps. Um, and so iPhone and Android are like the, the, now the next new frontier uh, for, for testing. And uh, again, that's also from a service point of view, more complications because now it's not just running these operating systems but we now have to run the simulators and emulators and get that all up and running. So um, I guess I like to say, like, I really geek out on this stuff and setting up all this infrastructure so it's like, you know, let me do it so you don't have to. But it, it, it's kind of dizzying how many configurations there are. And then you throw on top of that, you don't just have one test, you've got a whole bunch of features that you wrote. So it's like 100 features across all these configurations. It gets pretty complicated pretty fast. It now occurs to me that when I go to a banking website or a shopping website and it breaks on Safari, that I shouldn't be as surprised as I am. Right. I mean, it's one of those things of like testing is like by definition an, an infinite activity. My, my simple case is, um, you know, how would you test a calendar widget? Or, or if you, you know, like you can go left or right on the like the previous month, next month tab infinitely. Like you're not going to test every month and every day. So just in features, there's kind of infinite places you could go to test various scenarios. And then all the different configurations you've got. I know some places where it's not just that they have to test Safari or Firefox, but they test it, um, let's say, in the case of, let's say, IE, they also have to test IE on um, Windows 32-bit and Windows 64-bit operating systems. And I mean, it, the configuration aspect of all the different permutations of what you have to test is ridiculous. So yeah, at some point, people just draw a line saying below this, that's it. We don't care. You know, first we saw this or we see people trying to do this with IE6, you know, developers, you know, shops saying IE6 is dead to us. We're not supporting it anymore. Um, not everyone can kind of do that. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think our, like our kind of goal, I think is making it easier to test more configurations, kind of make each individual 
test and test configuration easier so you can kind of do more of it so you can kind of more have more confidence and and support more browsers very cool um and actually what you brought up was something really interesting that i've had problems with the testing and that is um first testing at any level seems to enforce some sort of rigidity in yeah. Uh, the interface because you're afraid to change the interface because you have 72 tests that all expect it to look like this. So how how do yep. you how do you deal with that at a, at a JavaScript testing level? Well, I think this is probably kind of an untold story of Selenium, and I think it's, I'm not sure if it's a dirty secret or not, but th there's this ethic in agile development and now kind of test-driven developments that you write your tests first. Um, the, the thing is, there's a huge asterisk when it comes to the user interface and the dirty circuit dirty secret of the Selenium project is that because we, we, we started doing these features in JavaScript and in the browser, but we didn't have a testing tool uh, while we were, you know, shipping these features. So about six months into the project, after we'd done six months of production releases and features, that's when Selenium kind of came online. So we had that six-month lag between feature creation and, you know, testing with Selenium. So, so that, to that is there's this thing of it is possible to do testing too soon, uh, mm -hmm. especially when, especially in the user interface. And I, I think a lot of people where they get frustration with user interface tools and specifically Selenium and they blame Selenium is that because right when a feature is brand new, you're constantly moving things around, um, the, yeah, I, I think having it all locked down in a Selenium test and user interface test, it feels more like a straitjacket. You don't have that freedom to kind of move things around. But once things are kind of locked in, the dust is settled on the feature, it's kind of like people are using it, it's kind of good. At that point, Selenium's like really sweet spot is to kind of yeah, write that regression test, make sure that feature never breaks again, uh, again or just breaks, period. So then you can kind of move on to interesting things. But um, not enough people realize that yeah, definitely write some unit tests as you're as you're creating that feature, but you should probably wait wait to let the dust settle on your features, especially in the user interface, before you write a kind of a user interface Selenium focused uh, test for that. Okay, that that answers the first part of the problem. Now, the second part of the problem you actually brought up by leading to a calendar testing system. So if I'm if I've got like a live calendar that comes up and I want to test to make sure that today works correctly and then advanced to tomorrow works correctly, well, the kinds of links and data that that's going to be is going to be different if I test this next week versus now. How do you, how do you handle right. that kind of variability in, in Selenium? <laughs> well, um, it reminds me, sadly, I, I've learned a lot. Uh, how, do you, how, is it, the, how do you become wise by you know making mistakes? We, uh, the, the, yes. the project that Selenium came from, one of the funny stories was we had this exact problem because we have timesheets, you've got approvals, like you can't uh, report time too far in the future or the past to kind of account for people like putting the wrong year into these timesheets. And the problem was we, we learned um, the, the way to do it the wrong way is to hard code dates into the timesheet. So what we happened, what we would do is um, we would put some dates far in the future. And then I remember a month later into the project, all of a sudden these tests that were always working all of a sudden started failing. Mm -hmm. Well, we noticed that, wow, it's like day 31 since whatever we coded this test and that hard-coded date now triggered that you can't do this more than three days in the future of the past. So, the, so yeah, the, way, the, the wrong way to do it is specifically, you know, have very date-specific hard-coded things in there. Uh, the better way is to kind of have um, kind of support code. Um, so, if you're testing some kind of a, um, you know, you, let's say in this example, you, you can't do it two weeks in advance. You write, a, you write some kind of a function that can kind of uh, give you some kind of dynamic date back. So in your actual test, you're not saying, 
you know, April 13th, you're saying, get me today's date or get me today's date plus two weeks or something like that. And so your tests can have a date in that, but uh, you're not explicitly hard coding something. Um, so that, that's kind of one thing. The, the, I guess the other point is, um, you know, testing is, is kind of like, um, people really get into it. It's kind of like uh, arguing with philosophy majors. Like they're very annoying. <laughs> uh, you, know, uh, you know, you quickly get to, you know, the definitions of things. Like what is a test and why do we do this and all these things. One of the things is um, it's very treacherous and dangerous to be testing business logic in the user interface. Um, so if you're really wanting to make sure that for a particular date, you get a particular, you know, thing showing up on your agenda, it actually makes more sense to, you know, not do that through the user interface. Like throw away the browser, specifically kind of write just, you know, a nice little function of code. Almost like imagine, um, actually not imagine, like this is a great way to kind of test your system. Go th if you have an API, uh, like a REST interface or something like that, go through that. If you want to test a very, very explicit, you know, input output for this date, here's the list of responses. Uh, doing that through a browser is kind of a ham-fisted way to do it, which of course is how everyone does it. But really there's kind of a... Um, yeah, there, there are many ways to use and abuse a user interface testing tool, but the, the biggest way to kind of get in trouble fast is, you know, you're testing the user interface, but what you're really testing is the business logic. You're, you're now kind of having to go through the user interface, and if a button breaks, you don't really care about the button. You really wanted to test that for this date, give me back my agenda. So you, you start blaming the testing tool for not really giving that data because... The test broke because the button moved or something. Um, so if you're if you're really doing lots of corner cases, lots of kind of data driven kinds of things, try to write some kind of test harness that you basically can skip the browser, go directly at your kind of uh, your business logic stuff, um, and then kind of reserve the kind of the Selenium test, the user interface tests for um, more of the uh, kind of simple uh, simple scenarios. I, I would say like the the best case for Selenium is. Um, you kind of incidentally test the business logic, but the more important thing is it's kind of an end-to-end -end test. It's your last mile, it's your smoke test, it's your sanity check that you've already tested a whole bunch of other stuff at a lower level. Um, but this is kind of like making sure that everything's kind of connected to, uh, together correctly. So you really shouldn't use Selenium to test every permutation of like, testing for every date. Here's every response. But you definitely should test it at least once. Uh, you know, and, and then go a little bit more beyond that until you feel like you've got some kind of good, until you've kind of like walked around the app, clicked enough buttons. Um, a joke is kind of like, you know, every time you push to production, every developer's got like a list of things that they frantically go and make sure that still works. You, know, you go to the homepage, you click the login button, make sure you get the form. There's a couple of just random things you can, everyone kind of does in 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. That's the great category of stuff for Selenium tests. Um, but if you really want to dig into kind of testing input output Selenium isn't really the right tool for that and, and user interface tools for that matter so I just to put this a little more concrete terms because I think I've got what you're saying here and I, I know it from also my web testing days and which still continue by the way um, that taking even that two-minute uh, screencast that I saw that had the uh, testing finding a, a search term on Google it, you wouldn't test necessarily the quality of the search results with Selenium, mm -hmm. because that's going to vary. You probably use the APIs so for that, where you'd search for certain terms and see right. if in the top five, like pages you know should be there or there. Right. Uh, but but what you're testing with Selenium in that example is is there a place where I can even type a query on that front page, and right. when I press the search button and go, does it actually bring back a page that has some links on it? That'd really be the level of testing that you want at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of a coarse grain kind of a thing. You want to make sure that you can walk through the app and nothing blows up. Um, 
Exactly. Okay. Okay. So I think I'm following along with that. Um, so where um, where's selenium headed? What's still missing in it? And where, you know, if you, if you had like 50 new people to make some more code, what what where would you where would you take it now? Well, from a from a social point of view, we're kind of uh, we're in the transition from Selenium one to Selenium two, and there's a whole mm -hmm. bunch of code changes under the hood. But it's also kind of a good cultural change for the project. Uh, the the ethic of Selenium one was kind of worse is better, um, where we got a whole bunch of stuff working in JavaScript, and um, but for all of our language bindings. Um, we kind of co-generated it from some crazy stuff. Basically, only one person on the project at any given time kind of knew how anything worked. Um, now we're kind of breaking that up. Uh, I guess now we're kind of better is better is the approach for the project. We're specifically making everything like the, the language bindings, for example, where instead of co-generating that from like one master kind of JavaScript and XSLT monstrosity thing, we're now making it so we are expecting and encouraging and hoping that every language community, someone from that community comes and becomes the maintainer of the bindings um, for Selenium for that language. So we've got um, Alistair Scott, uh, who's maintaining the Ruby bindings. We've got David Burns in Python maintaining the Python bindings, making the... So, so if you've got a language that we don't officially support, our, our big four are right now are C-sharp, uh, Java, uh, Python, and Ruby. Um, uh, Luke, I think, is a maintainer of, of the Perl stuff. Um, I think Sebastian Bergman is it's PHP, but if, if I think P Sebastian might need help. Uh, he's the author of PHP Unit and kind of did the slime stuff on the side. But uh, we definitely need more help on PHP. Um, and that's obviously a language we can't ignore. There's a whole bunch of stuff. So if you're uh, you know, a, a scheme <laughs> programmer or you know, other kind of a thing, if like, we really need people to kind of step in and contribute. And then on the other side, you've got all the browsers. And I think we're kind of making it, uh, pushing it out that way. So we're actually gotten some really good traction here um, where the Chrome, like being able to actually instrument and automate Chrome, that's no longer really the job of the Selenium project and the committers. The Chrome, uh, what do you want to call it? The execution engine for Selenium, the automation smarts, that's actually now shipped in the Chrome browser itself. Um, the Chrome team now owns the how do we how do we actually automate this stuff? Uh, so that's cool. So that's kind of actually kind of the the world domination plan for the Selenium project is um, the only thing left on the project at some in a couple of years from now will just be the test suite. We have people in the community supporting the the bindings, and then we have the browser uh, vendors actually supporting the automation, uh, the actual stuff that does the automation. And really, Selenium is kind of like the uh, the test suite that kind of certifies like okay, people can actually test their apps on those browsers. So. Um, we definitely have, so we have got Selenium basically embedded and shipping with, or at least the, the Selenium bindings, um, the API, I mean. Uh, API support is, is fully supported in Chrome and Opera. Uh, we've, we've got some, uh, I think the Mozilla guys, I don't want to put them on the spot. I think they're, they're on board with the idea. And then, um, you know, we, we'll, we'll, we'll get all the browsers uh, there at some point. So, so, so if you're a so if you're a browser vendor, we definitely need your help. Specifically, if you work at Apple or Microsoft, hint, hint. And then if you're in a language, uh, if if you've got a particular language that we don't support yet, we definitely need someone from the community to step up and, and help, um, you know, help with help with that. So we've had a uh, question from a user on IRC that I'd like to address, and Craig asked, "Can you address the Selenium ecosphere, and as in what areas are left open for consulting services, web services, plugins, or add-ons?" Right. So, um, actually, a lot of people come to me and ask, like, hey, do you have a, a Selenium consultant, a testing consultant uh, to refer? 
And at least, at least from my kind of business uh, perspective, um, I would love to our business is to run the tests, but not to write them. And I really would like to get a, a good base of people who know how to um, write tests, but also you know be able to help the customer like write test frameworks. Like, and it's also not even about the testing. It's like, well, what are they doing? How risky is the stuff? Like, really, kind of um, you know, they're, they're basically software developers, consultants. I would love to have a, a base of people that I can refer to. I've got a, a couple of you know usual suspects of, of places. You know, I came from ThoughtWorks in Chicago. Um, they do stuff like this. Um, uh, Pivotal Labs in in San Francisco. We're big friends of them. But I really would love to have this huge base of people I can kind of like refer work to. Um, so I, you know, I guess there's kind of like two aspects as far as like opportunities for consulting. There's kind of just a pure like heads down, crank out some test cases. Um, but I, I don't think that's really kind of a path. I, I think there's a market there. Um, companies spend a lot of money on like, hey, I, I just need this thing to be tested. I'll go find some bodies and throw at it. I think that the, the, the really better way to do it is kind of be integrated with the project, find out exactly what they're doing. Uh, and you're, high, you're this hybrid role of you're, you're, you're a consultant, you're helping them implement the features and you're kind of doing, you know, you're doing it right. You're, you're testing this stuff and you're plugging it into CI. I, I would just... Yeah, there's definitely opportunities there. I, I'm not interested anymore in writing the tests because running the tests are a big enough of a problem to handle. Cool. Very cool. Very cool. Hey, I, I just had a couple of quick questions. Uh, we're sort of running out of time here. So, so a couple of quick questions. One is, um, as I was watching that uh, two-minute screencast on Google, I brought that up earlier, um, does, does Paul Hammond have a really high voice? Does he have a really high voice? Well, who's um, narrated that that video? <laughs> but it I, I don't know which video uh, that you saw. It was Google. Paul's voice. It's kind of a thick uh, <laughs> Scottish accent. Oh, oh, maybe it is. Then maybe it is. It's a little, little higher than mine. That's all. Okay, so that's good. Uh, so I, I, I never, I never thought thought of the pitch of his voice as being uh, novel. I, I always thought it was interesting that with this thick accent. Uh, you, he says "dude" all the time. It's kind of oh, funny wow. to hear the phrases he he says, but. Okay, now Paul's going to take us offensively. Sorry, I didn't mean it that way. But it's, <laughs> also, it's, well, I, yeah, I definitely have to give Paul uh, huge credit for the project because I was just this this kid uh, working on other stuff, and I thought I created this thing that was kind of cool, but I had no idea. I, I had no idea that there was a thing called a you know that there were testing tools and a, a whole economy of people selling a whole bunch of stuff uh, in this space. And um, mm -hmm. anyway, so, so Paul Paul saw this, and uh, he was at, we were at ThoughtWorks at the time, and he saw that like you know, hey, this is this is cool. People need to know about that. So, you know, in the kind of the, I don't know which book this is from, but, you know, every project needs various uh, players, actors in its lifespan. So you need like the crazy idea guy, I guess that's me for the original idea, but I didn't think that this needed to be told. So Paul served this very big role where he saw something and needed to tell other people about it. So he was a little bit of the John the Baptist for the, for the project. Um, and he's uh, one of those unsung heroes that uh, he doesn't get enough credit um, on the project that I'm partly to blame for that. So I'm, uh, making sure that, yeah, Paul gets a lot of credit for, for getting Selenium out there, getting the message out there. Uh, he wrote, um, the very first language bindings actually for Java. He did a lot of the initial kind of architecture, uh, for things. So he's a good guy. Great, great, great. Uh, and yes, yeah, so I, no, no offense at all intended really. Um, 
I, and I'm familiar with that kind of relationship because I know like Larry Wall had a great idea to have this little language called Pearl, but it was took me to come along and figure out how to commercialize it and actually make a living off it for the last 20 years. So I really see how the, the, the you, you probably had that same relationship with Paul. So that sounds like a really great way to have gotten that started. I think it's really interesting that we have to have teams of people to bring together to really make projects work. We have people that are visionaries. We have people that are sort of bring it back to practical and people that sort of like are willing to stay in the in the dirt getting all the low level stuff done and and enjoy, and everybody enjoying sort of what they're doing because they're all committed to that level but uh it's uh, it's really a great uh, way to have teamwork there the other thing is that i seem to have a note here about something about legoland do you want to explain <laughs> that uh yes so um uh i think oh sure shoot i have the uh the ring box is upstairs um but uh yeah I, Let's see. So I'm uh, got married in 2003. This would be 2002. I had to do the math. Uh, so I do remember the dates and the years. I had to work backwards. So uh, 2002, I proposed to my wife uh, at Legoland, um, and the original idea was a couple of months earlier. I actually wanted to propose at Times Square, like the real Times Square in New mm -hmm. York City. Uh, missed opportunity mostly because I just didn't get Mac together and had a ring. Uh, didn't have one. So a couple of months later, um, went to uh, uh, my my parents are in the LA area. That's where I kind of spent you know. Uh, grade school, high school, from that area. So anyway, uh, flew out to visit the folks, and um, we're going to go to Legoland. And uh, anyway, brought my girlfriend along with me. So I had this, I had this uh, plan hatched that I was going to. Um, the cover story was that I was going to go to Legoland with my my uh, my nephew, and we're just going to have a fun day uh, around. And um, anyway, oddly, he got injured the day before. So I, my cover story was blown. I had to invent this excuse to go down to Legoland um, with me just and my girlfriends uh, without the nephew. Anyway, so I did a terrible job of that. I think at some point she kind of knew something was going on. So we, we drove down to Legoland anyway. Um, and uh, we got there, went to the, the New York, or the Times Square miniature in Lego and, and mm -hmm. proposed there. Uh, so, I mean, in that, uh, this little Lego uh, ring box. And it's interesting, those little Lego guys, like, you know, they got the little kind of C-shaped hands. It's the uh, the perfect width, if you kind of uh, hold the guy back a little bit, it's the perfect width to actually hold a, a ring. So I uh, kind of got the ring in there and, uh, and then we gave her, the, uh, uh, gave her the ring. She said yes. And I figured that's actually kind of a good, I don't know, really into this testing thing, but I figured <laughs> and this, uh, this is a good test, I think, if, I was, uh, if she said yes in this particular environment, that I'm this crazy idea guy who kind of does wacky things. Um, and, uh, I figured kind of proposing at Legoland was kind of a wacky thing to do. That's definitely kind of my personality. And, uh, if she's, if she would be, you know, sign up for that, then, uh, she's definitely a keeper. But, you know, given that as a standard, I'm not sure where I'd have to propose to somebody for them to accept me and <laughs> all the craziness that I am. Great, great. That's a great story. That's an incredibly great story. And, and on that note, uh, I just want to ask one more question. Uh, well, I actually got two more questions. Uh, VI or Emacs? Oh, VI. Absolutely. Uh, uh. You stab me. Go VI. <laughs> and uh, what's that? Go VI. Go VI. Just go VI. Or Vim. Also, I mean, actually, uh, is there even a VI versus Vim, or does everyone just assume Vim when, well, when you, assume you say Vim? Vim. Yeah, right. you, you needed to have Vim to even keep up with Emacs. So I, I give you guys that is an automatic default. <laughs> I, I do want to insert one one thing as far as when we're talking about people and important stuff to the uh, the project. Yes. Uh, I do also want to give a shout out to uh, the team at Google and specifically Simon Stewart. He's really kind of you know the future face, the current face of of the project. As we go from Selenium One, I'm kind of the Selenium One guy, um, me and Paul. Uh, and Simon Stewart, uh, it really is is Selenium Two. We merged with a project called WebDriver. That's his thing, 
and really he's a he would be a great guest to have um you know on the future if you guys haven't you know hit uh, a tolerance or <laughs> level of, of testing tools yet simon's a, a very uh a very interesting character i would really recommend uh you chatting with him but he, he's he's kind of like the you know definitely the future of the project and he's he's very important very good. And uh, so uh, my other one last question was, um, is there anything we left out that you really wanted to make sure our audience is aware of? Um, yeah, test your stuff, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Don't wait until it's too late. Uh, don't, get, don't wait till you get paged at 3 a.m. and you lose revenue and customers. You know, uh, testing, like, I think it's one of those, um, you know, there, there are things in life in software development, like, you know, you ain't going to need it. Testing is one of those things that you are going to need. It is easy to kind of overdo it. Uh, but you are going to need it, so you should kind of, you know, the earlier the better makes it easier. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. <laughs> and I, I back that 100% as well. So uh, I just want to thank you again for being on the show, Jason. Thanks for uh, waking up. Well, it's early for us. Not so early for you now that I know you're in Chicago, but uh, <laughs> thanks for coming on the show. Excellent. Thank you for having me. Great, great. That was Jason Huggins, who is uh, doing lots and lots of stuff. With you, one of the co-creators of uh, the original Selenium and now very active in the project. Uh, what do you think, Randy? What was that all about? I think it was great. I mean, it was interesting to learn about. I wish I had known about it a year ago. You know, when I was actually looking for something like this, I would have loved to have tried it out. Well, that's good then, because I mean, some of the people listening to this show, of which there are many, and I thank you guys all for your loyalty to the show, uh, I, I, I will now be finding, oh yeah, that's exactly what I need. I need a web testing thing that can deal with all that JavaScript and all that Ajax stuff that I've got. And so that's, uh, that's really good. I mean, it's, it, it's really is hard to test that last mile, because if you build a correct sort of... Uh, scripts to test your model code and some of your controller code, you get to that view layer where you're actually just finally translating all that data finally into some presentation system. And it's really hard without something like Selenium to uh, wander through and especially do cross-browser support make you be able to test it on all those. God, how many browsers did you list? Something like 13, 15? Something like that was crazy. So I'm... You know, I'm happy to be testing another two that I have on my laptop, but the, the rest sound like a lot of craziness going on. Yeah, it's definitely a part of testing that I think is overlooked. I mean, people test on one version of IE, maybe, and one version of Firefox, and they just kind of let the others go and assume it'll work, or they just don't care. I mean, I can't even begin to list the number of websites I've been to that only work with Internet Explorer because I'm guessing they haven't done testing for the other platforms. Or they may just think that, you know, that us poor Mac and Linux people out here are, are like such a niche in the market that, you know, they don't care if they offend, you know, 10 to 15 percent of their market because they just don't see that, that how, that's how it would be. And I love it when they justify it based on their browser stats they get on their websites. Uh, well, look, only IE comes here. Well, that's probably because your site only works with IE. So, of course, you're gonna, it's going to be self-focused, right? Yeah, there's that. And I think browser users are getting to be more fickle. I mean, it used to be that people were hardcore into IE a very long time ago, and then they got hardcore into Firefox, and everybody loved Firefox. And now you see even more of the user base going over to Chrome, and mm -hmm. people trying out, uh, you see a lot of people who just use Mac using Safari. And I mean, there are so many more browsers out there you have to consider than there were 10 years ago. And especially when you have this option, I mean, now with almost everybody I know has a smartphone, you've got to be able to test your website to make sure that it works on, on, on phones uh, because it's just, it's, you know, and it's still longer that we're, I, I don't know if you remember the whole craze, you know, 10 years ago, building WAP sites, you know, because they would fit on oh, the yeah. tiny phones. And now it's like we've got, I've got mobile Safari is, is as far as I'm concerned, Safari. What I really like though is that people are building websites that proportion themselves to the right size for the uh, mobile Safari that if I go to like say IMDB or some of these other sites, they actually have an entirely different interface for um, the, uh, the, mo the my mobile safari than if I go on the main one. You can always, always look back and forth. Google, I think, was one of the pioneers in doing that.
but uh, testing all this has got to be crazy because it's like, okay, so I built, you know, I've changed my data model and all the different ways I view that data. I now have to also catch up with that. Uh, so I'm appreciating the Selenium project because I've been seeing that that's going to be essential. I don't even know what else is in this space. It's probably, I should have asked him that, but I, I, this has clearly got to be the leader and clearly the, the best open source uh, example of this. Yeah, there's one other example I can think of. I can't remember the name, though, for the life mm -hmm. of me, because I downloaded it once. It was in beta. It worked okay, but it didn't sound nearly as fancy as Selenium is. It didn't have nearly the number of options. So I think this now that more people are going to know about it, I mean, it sounds like it's spreading. It'd Very be great good. to Very see more good. people using it. Indeed, indeed. And uh, so what I usually do here is have some awkward transition to my upcoming guest list. I'm not even going to bother with the awkward transition. I'm just going to say, here's what's coming up on Floss Weekly. That's the entire transition you get. Uh, next week, we've got Emil Ivov uh, on Jitsi, formerly SIP Communicator. That's a, uh, a um, VoIP client, a desktop client that understands uh, audio and video. It's supposed to work with uh, a lot of cool things like Asterisk. I'm going to be looking forward to that show. We have Philip Brown, Ben Walton's coming on, talking to us about OpenCSW, which is the one of the three packaging systems for Solaris, so the particularly one that's being used mostly in Open Solaris. Uh, Dustin J. Mitchell's coming on to talk about BuildBot, which is a uh, building uh, testing platform for Python, which will be fun. Um, I have to get a Python expert on that week because I don't know anything about indenting properly. Uh, Matthew Flat's going to talk to us about Racket, which is a uh, education language. Uh, originally called uh, Scheme, SLT Scheme, something like that, PLT Scheme. I'm going to get it wrong. It's done at my notes. I'm so sorry. But anyway, it's a teaching language uh, based on based on Scheme. Uh, looks pretty fun. Uh, and Kosuki Kawaguchi uh, was the uh, creator leader of the Hudson Project, which is now forked and become Jenkins. That is a uh, building uh, framework, a uh, building testing continuous uh, uh, testing framework, which should be sort of the testing of the back end of this stuff. So I think actually Selenium can plug into Jenkins, if I remember correctly. Curtis Jewell, uh, Strawberry, Strawberry Pearl. Strawberry Pearl is a version of Pearl running on Windows that uh, 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 has normal interfaces rather than the PPM interface that uh, Active State Pearl had. So you can install any module you want instead of just the ones that Active State made available for you. Somewhere also on the schedule is uh, Sitaram Charmarte. He's going to talk to us about Gitto Lite, which is a GitHub-style hosting service for Git repos, so you can have a, a private one of those, or you can have a shared one of those without having to get yourself involved in GitHub. Lots of other people on the short list still trying to book a few empty slots. I think we'll be coming up on those pretty soon. Uh, let's see, you can find out more about me by following me on Twitter. That's M-E-R-L-Y-N on Twitter, uh, Merlin with a Y. Uh, and if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see that I'll be karaoke streaming tonight again. So if you're like following me on that, tonight being the day we're taping this show, if you're hearing this a couple days later, obviously it won't make much difference. I'll be back in L.A. next week. If you want to hang out with me there, I'll just follow my Twitter feed. And I do read all of the tweets that come at me. Um, and uh, I'm also recording more shows for StarshipSofa.com, my science fiction uh, hat that I wear from time to time. I put on and uh, read a 20 or 30 or 50 minute piece for that. And yes, Tony Smith, if you're listening, I am recording the next one coming up today. I haven't had time to do it until today. So um, that's uh, everything I want to plug today. Randy, what have you been up to and what do you want people to know about you? Um, well, I recently moved to Seattle, which is awesome. I love it here. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, my Twitter handle is FreeBSDGirl. Wow, okay, that's short. <laughs> yeah, that's it. More... Okay. <laughs> I don't have much else to say. I'm just enjoying the rain. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yeah, you've got to get used to that. If you moved up from, well, the Bay Area rained a little bit, but uh, I bet no. Seattle has been a lot more gray and uh, and uh, Not icky, in Sunnyvale. Huh? In Sunnyvale, the name is very apt. It doesn't rain for like five or six months at a time. And here, I moved here in the fall, and that's when it starts raining here. So mm -hmm. I think I have seen maybe six days of sun since I moved here six months ago. 
Well, that's typical for Seattle and Portland. Uh, we, I grew up with it, of course. I'm all really familiar with it, but I love it that the uh, the Californians, uh, and I'm going to paint them with a broad sweep, and they're all my friends now, but uh, they would move up here, and they would come visit, like, in summer. They'd come visit, like, in July or August, and they go, oh, this is really not bad. It's good weather. It's actually not as hot as some of the places in California. And I go, and then they move in in September, of course, school year starts, and then it starts raining about the uh, third week of September, and, and they say, when's it going to end? And I, I just go, May. <laughs> Like no yeah. way, yeah way. <laughs> I actually moved here the third week of September, so <laughs> that sounds go. exactly right. It, it started raining the day my moving truck got here, uh -huh. so <laughs> that was awesome. And I walk to work every day because I live two blocks from work. I live like right next to the Space Needle. It's incredible, um, but yeah, walking to work in the rain not so much fun. I know, I know. It's very. It's it's it's, it's how we it, it's how we throttle the number of Californians that actually move up because you know the only some of them can stand the rain. It works pretty well. It's a kind of a natural throttle in the whole thing. Well, that's enough about us. We're running out of time here, so I just want to say what I always say. We'll see you again next time on Floss Weekly.